Hello and welcome to Monday Night Football, your voice for youth soccer. Not just for Louisiana, but for the entire northern Gulf Coast. And now, introducing your host, Alan DeRitter. Hello, everybody, and welcome to our February 15th edition of Monday Night Football, your voice for youth soccer. We always start off our show with a prayer. Today's prayer is going to be a little bit somber and the fact that we lost uh, uh, an icon uh, in Louisiana soccer this weekend, uh, Miss Glenda Preshack. And uh, I'll explain after the prayer uh, who she was to all the uh, new people out there. But for all of you are my age or just a little bit younger, definitely older, uh, she needs no uh, uh, introduction whatsoever. Okay? All right. In the name of Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. Dear God, thank you for letting us be here today, and we pray for the repose of the soul of uh, Miss Preshack. We pray that um, she'll be reunited with her husband, uh, and I pray in Thanksgiving that all she's given to us uh, throughout the years, uh, not just on the playing side and the coaching side, but on the referee side as well, and pray uh, that her family be strengthened, uh, especially at this time them to know that we're here praying for them and that uh and her legacy will continue to move on and uh she will not be forgotten uh in regards to the louisiana soccer community in jesus name we pray amen in the name of father son holy spirit amen okay so a lot of you youngsters out here i'm talking about the 40 year olds on up uh 40 year olds 30 year olds 20 year olds um you kind of came in and benefited from from uh, her work and the work of a few other people around the state of Louisiana. Uh, when I was graduating high school in 1981, there was no high school soccer. There was no club soccer. Okay, I started my own little um, uh, league for little kids uh, just to get them starting to play, you know, and make some uh, impromptu goals and and, uh, but there was nothing for them to move on to play with. There was no Lafayette Soccer Association. And um, I went to college. And then when I got out of college, I got a chance to uh, get the head coaching job at uh, Brother Martin. And that's where I discovered Miss Preshack and all the work that, that had been done while I was in college, uh, establishing uh, basically uh, – she established the East Bank, okay, at what is now called Lafayette Park, but uh, I think it was called Willow Wood uh, uh, Playground uh, is where she based all of her uh, com competition and all of her teams. And uh, on the West Bank, we had PAC, and uh, those were the those were the babies um, that grew into now. Uh, I would say this monster in New Orleans where we have so many clubs, I, I don't think I can name them all to you off the top of my head, uh, but it started with her. Okay. And, and uh, she laid the groundwork and she pulled uh, the strings to get us uh, better places to play, get us referees to referee um, and really just um, make this whole soccer situation, in Louisiana better here in the East. And I think she led uh, the West and the North uh, by her example. Okay. Uh, she was, you could always find her at LSA meetings. Uh, uh, she, 
it's amazing. Like most people, you know, when their kids move on, they move on. I've seen it happen over and over and over again. She stayed. All right. This was one of her babies. Okay. And, and uh, she wanted to make sure that she saw its grandchildren. I got up with her a few weeks ago at St. Paul's watching her uh, maternal grandchild uh, be playing for Jesuits eighth grade team. And, uh, uh, the pre-shack game will continue on, uh, that's for sure, uh, on the soccer field. But I don't even know if um, that child even knows the significance of his grandparents, you know, and how they set the tone for soccer in this area. Um, we have a lot of gratitude uh, to bestow upon their family right now, and we need to be praying for them uh, in this very difficult time. I know we've been dealing with funerals and uh, with COVID, uh, I don't think this was COVID-related, by the way. I just think uh, it was just a surprise. I was really glad to see Coach Al Silvis, uh, uh, his team, uh, pausing yesterday uh, for a moment of silence. The fact that, uh, of course, Coach Matt Jockey, the head coach of St. Scholastica, um, benefited from her work, and I think he understood the significance of this moment. And, uh, that was really, uh, uh, a very fitting tribute, uh, to a wonderful, wonderful person. So, uh, she will be missed. I do ask coach Collins uh, for his reflections on her in the next segment. And, uh, I'll let him speak for himself there. So, but like she would probably say it was time for soccer to go on. She wouldn't want to see it stopped. I think she would have laughed at all the, People trying to stop soccer right now because of the uh, because of the cold, and uh, it's just part part of the high school game down here. You know who can make it through the rough the rough weather. It's not just the rough weather now; it's the rough weather in December. It's the dry weather in November. It's it's just the weather is horrible for soccer in the winter time here, and uh, and we all have to make do. I think it's why we're seeing so many turf fields, uh, which I'm not very fond of. By the same token, it's better than playing in slop. And uh, uh, enough said there. Okay, so let's let's start off our show talking to the girls, talking about the girls. And I just mentioned to you that Saint Domin uh, Dominican beat Saint Scholastica two nothing. I was really proud. Um, both of those head coaches, I had the opportunity to coach when they were younger, and uh, it's nice to see that uh, they could go at it with each other, uh, probably with a grin on their face. Uh, uh, seeing how far they've they've contributed on their generation to the game of soccer, and uh, Saint Scholastica is rebuilding. Uh, they are a powerful team. They had a great win against Dutchtown, uh, three to two, uh, at Dutchtown. So that was a sign that Saint Scholastica might have lost this quarterfinal game. They ain't going nowhere. They're going to be strong in the future. It's just you know sometimes you have an ebb and flow when it comes to your players. And um and Saint Scholastica's turn to uh it's them their turn to watch the semifinals instead of playing it, and uh, Dominican is going to be hosting Saint Joseph's Academy. Saint Joseph's went up to Bird and uh, blanked them two nothing. So how many years have we said okay is this Saint Joseph's year? Um, is it okay? That's that's a tough thing to have to do though to have to go um, on the road. Really, they've had to be on the road now for. This will be their third, um, excuse me, the second game in three games. Uh, C.E. Bird came to them. 
uh, but they had to travel to Baton Rouge High to uh, play at Baton Rouge High, which is not much of a travel. But now they got to go to Pan American, and uh, I'm pretty sure that's where Dominican will want to play the game, and uh, and that's 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 home for Dominican, and uh, we'll see what happens. On the flip side of the coin, uh, Upstart Mandeville uh, um, succeed uh, kind of. Uh, show that really all these results are no fluke. I mean, Mandeville beats Live Oak 7 nothing, Walker 7 nothing, and then um, wound up beating Hanville on the 13th, 4 to nothing. okay? But now they're going to have to travel to play good old Mount Carmel. And Mount Carmel has been uh, enduring, I guess, all the Dominican headlines while they've been blazing a trail themselves, uh, beating Ponchatoula 8 nothing, Parkway 7-1, to and then beat Defending state champs North Shore three to nothing. Okay, so um, congratulations to uh, Coach Lazaro for getting to the uh, quarterfinals. But now uh, Mount Carmel is going to be moving on to to uh, very familiar territory with a very familiar opponent, uh, Mount Carmel. And uh, Coach Sean Esker is going to uh, try to get these girls who are hungry from last year's uh, amazing game, state final game with North Shore, to be able to maybe make it back into the finals and maybe have a chance to win it. But to do that, he's going to have to beat Mount Carmel, who uh, kind of took a back seat last year, and they're not accustomed to that. And uh, a lot of people are looking forward to a Dominican-Mount Carmel final on the 27th. But uh, I'm telling you, uh, Mount Carmel has to get through Mandeville first, and Dominican's got to get through St. Joseph's. Okay, uh, uh, here indeed, uh, they, they might not have been the uh, one, two, okay, three, four seed, all right, with uh, Hanville bumping off Captain Shreve, the three seed. But you definitely have four of the best teams in Division One going after each other, okay? Uh, I don't think anybody could argue that point whatsoever. Okay, now let's head for Division Two. Now, with the girls, um, Division Two is set up this way. Of course, uh, St. Thomas More has been placing a trail of disaster. I mean, they just beat West Washington on the ninth seed, eight to nothing, after beating Sam Houston, eight to nothing. But uh, I, I think that, uh, that tr and they had to go actually to West Washington. So now they get to bring um, um, the ter Lady Terriers from Vanderbilt to them. Now, Vanderbilt went to Caddo Magnet and beat them six to nothing. So I think uh, even though it's a 1-5 matchup, I think really you're getting two teams that have a strong desire to make it into the finals going nose-to-nose -nose at each other. Uh, the problem for Vanderbilt is uh, really St. Thomas More Stadium is a, uh, is a formidable place to play. Okay, there's a lot of distractions. There's a lot of community sport there. And, uh, and there's a lot of familiarity with the field from the, from the girls and the boys when they play there. So that's going to be a, a tough, tough, tough test uh, for Vanderbilt, who's really been hungry to, to hoist that trophy, okay? And uh, I, I don't know any team that's hungrier than they are. Now, on the other side of the bracket, uh, Ben Franklin showed how strong they really are. We're traveling to Neville and knocking off the three seed one and nothing. And so now Ben Franklin sees themselves in the semifinals, having to beat Lakeshore, which has had no test whatsoever. Lakeshore beat the 17 Benton 7-1. to one. And so now Lakeshore gets gets a very formidable opponent, and they get to host them. So Ben Franklin's going to have to travel to the North Shore and, uh, and be able to put something together 
Um, but they've just proved again they can they can uh, travel to Neville, they can travel to Mandeville. So uh, uh, Division Two looks to be very very exciting. Uh, who knows uh, who's going to wind up ending there uh, as the state champion? Um, it's going to be fun to watch. Okay, uh, this is all so good that uh, we have uh, the playoffs playing out themselves like this, even with all this COVID. Now, when it comes to Division Three, almost the same story. Loyola Prep has had no problems whatsoever as the one seed, but now they got to run into Parkview Baptist. And Parkview Baptist is battle-tested. Uh, they had to beat South Beauregard, and then they had to beat Edie White in a PK shootout that was really dramatic. And uh, uh, that game ended in 1-1. Um, if you were watching the Galstar broadcast, you know, they, they've talked about it a lot, especially Nick. But anyway, it's going to lead to Parkview Baptist traveling to Loyola for a huge matchup. Um and uh, with the 1-4, and on the other side of the bracket, uh, everything worked out as predicted. The 3 is going to play the 2. St. Michael the Archangel um, beat St. Louis Catholic. St. Louis Catholic put up a heck of a fight. And again, my hat's off to St. Louis Catholic for having to deal with not just COVID, but having to deal with the hurricanes and, um, and rebuilding their school. Their school is, is still in disarray. They still need our prayers. They're still in my prayers. And... Um, uh, but they were able to put together a season that they were able to get to the uh, quarterfinals and uh, and travel to, to Baton Rouge and give St. Michael a 5-2 game. But St. Michael's moving through, and uh, they're going to be playing University Lab. And uh, University Lab had their hands full uh, against the 7 seed DeRitter, no relation to me, 2 to nothing. So uh, that, that was a surprise there. I don't know if, whether DeRitter was that good or university might have been unfamiliar with playing at Parkview Stadium, uh, or they weren't they weren't too enthused about the game. I, I don't know. I don't know. But uh, uh, a three this three two matchup is going to be um, going to garnish a lot of attention. Now in Division Four, um, Isidore Newman hasn't really buzzsawed anybody. I hope it's because of choice. Uh, they beat North Lake Christian two to nothing, and then ESA four to nothing, and now they're going to be playing the five seed Ascension Episcopal. Now Ascension Episcopal uh, beat the four seed Grace Chris Christian um, in Tioga two to nothing. So that um, was after they beat Riverside eight to nothing. So you have a one five matchup, and uh, Ascension is going to have to go to Newman. And if you've ever been on that field at Newman, the turf is old. Uh, uh, it needs to be replaced. Uh, but that makes the play very, very fast. There's no, there's no resistance for the ball. It's like playing on flat rubber. And, uh, and if you're not used to it, I don't know what kind of field Ascension is used to playing on. I've never been to their, their stadium. But uh, uh, it's the definite advantage for Newman. Newman's very comfortable there. Um, and uh, I don't know if Episcopal will have enough. Now, on the other side of the bracket, uh, big time upset if you really will look at the seed numbers. Sacred Heart beating Homer Christian 2-1. to one. Uh, Homer Christian is the uh, two seed. But look, y'all, Homer Christian is still, compared to Academy of Sacred Heart, Homer Christian still in its infancy uh, and in developing uh, their soccer program, and they got to a two seed this year. But y'all, Academy of Sacred Heart has got state championships galore. 
and and they're no stranger uh, to um, to the playoffs. Uh, they have a tradition of winning in the playoffs, and and Homa gave them all they could. And uh, but Sacred Heart was hosting them at Pan Am, and uh, and Sacred Heart come up with the win, two to one. So uh, also on the flip side, the three seed got upset by Catholic New Iberia. Washington Christian hosted the game too. And New Iberia, a Catholic, uh, wound up going in there and 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 putting together a dominant performance, uh, and that was after they beat Pope John Paul II four to one. So Catholic New Iberia has been a higher seed in years past, but maybe this is their opportunity to get to the finals. But uh, they get to host Academy of Sacred Heart, and playing on the road is a little different. And Academy of Sacred Heart having to go to New Iberia, it's a different environment. Uh, of course, that's my hometown. I don't want to sound like a homer, but it's going to be hard for uh, Sacred Heart to be able to go play there. And there is no doubt about it. Catholic New Iberia wants to get to the finals. Okay, it's 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 long overdue. Uh, I guess being the sixth seed, they didn't have the pressure of the teams in the past to have to um, to have to win. And so there's a good chance they're going to be playing on the 24th at Strawberry Field. Um, uh, but we'll have to wait and see for the games to play themselves out. Okay, so we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to talk to Coach Hubie Collins on Monday Night Football, your voice for youth soccer. We'll see you after the break. Everybody, welcome back to Monday Night Football. We're honored to have our guest tonight, uh, Coach Hubie Collins from Jesuit High School. Welcome, Coach. Hey, Alan. How are you, sir? Thank you so much for having me on the show tonight. No problems, and uh, thank you for coming on. Um, before we start talking about soccer, uh, uh, we really suffered a loss this week uh, on, on your board with the Louisiana Fire with Glenda Preshack passing. Do you have any thoughts about her and the effect she's had on the game and, and on the fire especially? Yeah, I was uh, I was very saddened to hear the news, just like yourself, of the passing of, uh, of Glenda. You know, Glenda's uh, been around the, the game of football, the game of soccer, uh, as long as I've uh, been around the city. And I think I came into the city in 1994. Um, I, I think she was, her and her husband, uh, Al, were uh, inaugural part of, uh, I think, Willowdale Soccer Club, which eventually turned into Lafanier Soccer Club. And then, of course, uh, Glenda had been uh, heavily involved in the referee organization and especially in training uh, young uh, referees and making sure that we were bringing young people into the game as referees. Uh, and then just the last thing, just from my, uh, you know, knowledge and I've heard been on the board, just what an outstanding lady uh, she she was, she is, she just was uh, was something very, very special. She used to be always a fixture at our tournaments, always making people that came in from out of town feel uh, welcome and, uh, and always had a friendly smile and face. So she'll be dearly, sorely missed. Uh, on the good news, though, her... Uh, her family legacy uh, will continue. Her grandson, uh, uh, Liam Eli, uh, is on our 07 boys team and uh, is uh, playing at the fire. So uh, uh, every time uh, Liam will take the field, uh, uh, in spirit, Glenda will still be out there. Indeed. I got a chance to see uh, her grandson play uh, when Jesuit was playing in the St. Paul's tournament for junior high, eighth grade tournament. And, uh, and uh, she was just as robust and excited as ever, you know. And uh, I, I didn't see this coming. No, no uh, I know. Apparently, I'd heard she'd been uh, she'd been in hospital and been ill for uh, uh, for a couple of weeks, and I'm not sure many people knew about that. And then just when we get the notification that she had uh, 
she had passed. Um, it was it was very very sad. I think we were all very very sad. I know I spent and took some time just to just to think back over the years uh, of just my involvement and been around uh, uh, Glenda and, and just how great she was. Yes, indeed. Well, um, all this is going on in the same token. You you wound up having to play a playoff game on Sunday. How did that game go yesterday? Yeah, you know, another uh, another first uh, in uh, having, I think, the first time I maybe ever played a, a game or certainly a playoff game on a, on a Sunday, unusual for high school. So it was uh, in itself, that was kind of a, a novelty. But uh, the game itself uh, went really well. We were up against a very strong opponent in St. Amant, uh, uh, you know, who had been playing extremely well and have uh, got some very, very nice uh, players and a couple of players uh, up top for them as forwards who were outstanding. And uh, so we knew we had a tough task uh, uh, ahead of us. Um, but our team is very focused at the minute and, and they came out and they were ready to play. And uh, we got off to a good start and got a couple of goals on St. Amont early and then were able to keep their better players uh, at bay and uh, and kind of went on to, to score a couple of more late as they were chasing the game. So overall, uh, very pleased with the performance. Uh, but uh, kind of woke up this morning realizing now we got to get ready for... Uh, our next opponent, uh, St. Paul's. Yeah, well, I always have a 24-hour rule, and you're within 24 hours, so enjoy it for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I tell you what, I, I, I did the uh, color commentary when we televised your game against Lusher, and, I, you know, I, I keep my hand, my finger on the pulse, and I think this is one of the stronger teams you've had in a decade. Uh, am I wrong in saying that? Yeah, you know, they're a very, very talented uh, group of young men. Certainly, that's for sure when it comes to their soccer skills and soccer abilities. I say where this uh, group of young men, they really kind of excel is the fact that uh, we've uh, we've got like 19, 20 seniors uh, on the team. So, uh, you know, that, that, that leadership, that drive, that camaraderie uh, is infectious. And it goes all the way down through, uh, through our juniors and to the sophomores who are on the team. And, uh, and uh, in continuing kind of another legacy, uh, uh, you know, we have a Cabos on the team again. You know, I went through having uh, Chris and Ryan and Stephen Cabos uh, uh, playing at Jesuit. And now their uh, uh, younger brother, uh, Jacob, is on the team. So uh, kind of uh, that's a nice uh, little omen to have for us as well. Wow. That that name brings back a lot of memories. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it would. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. Um uh, who? Uh, it's going to be hard for you with with all those seniors to even talk about this. But uh, uh, what are your strengths? To me, it's your size, it, not just the physical ability. Like everybody talks about restarts and things like that. I don't see a team doing it better than you guys right now. But you're not dependent on it. Uh, what do you think your strength is? Yeah, I think it's probably a little bit of uh, everything, Alan. I think it's a little bit of, you know, we do have that size, uh, but we do have speed, we do have agility. Uh, I think that's um, that's wonderful from that regard. Maybe most importantly for us is uh, just the fact that uh, we're, uh, uh, I think there's kind of a chemistry on the field. Uh, there's kind of a synergy that people know where people are going to be, where the ball's going to be. And I just think... Uh, that movement and that smoothness and interflow of play sometimes makes it really difficult for opponents uh, to defend. So uh, as long as we can keep that type of play up, uh, we'll be uh, we'll be very uh, happy. Yeah, I noticed too. Uh, offensively, your fullbacks are extremely competent and dangerous. And uh, are your backups just as uh, competent and dangerous as well? Yeah, I think that's uh, that's another strength uh, to what we have this year too. You know, we have. Uh, uh, you know, 
the ultimate amount of depth uh, from goalkeepers, you know, having three to four goalkeepers that we uh, that we can start at any given moment uh, that are exceptional uh, to the back line, to the midfielders, uh, to the forwards. Uh, you know, we do quite a bit of interchange of play. You know, we rotate players uh, in and out because we know and we have confidence uh, in the guy coming in. Uh, uh, it's uh, like we say, there's starters and there's finishers and then there's everybody in between. So everybody is just as important. Everybody has uh, the same role to play, whether it's at the practices and training sessions or whether it's their opportunity to get on the field and play. And so I think that leads to something very special with this group of young men. Okay, so um, uh, even though it's within the 24-hour rule, um, when is this uh, St. Paul's game going to be? Uh, nothing set in uh, stone uh, as of right now, and obviously we're recording this show probably a little bit earlier, but by the time maybe your show airs tonight, uh, we will have a time. We're looking, I think both groups are probably looking at Saturday for sure, and then just trying to find the, the, the right time that suits uh, everybody is what we're uh, discussing right now. Okay, and... Uh... I tell you what, uh, it's going to be standing room only with COVID. I guess standing room only means uh, thirty people, <laughs> but uh, hopefully they'll allow, allow as many people in as possible to watch this game. Because here we go again, St. Paul Jesuit. How you like your chances this year? Uh, you know, uh, we know St. Paul's is a is a strong team. Uh, they're very capable, and so I think, like anything, uh, they're they're going to have a game plan uh, put in place to play against us, and uh, we'll certainly have a game plan put in place to play against them. We played them earlier in the season. Uh, you know, we got a favorable result, but I don't think that game really means very much right now. I think it's uh, it's about where both teams are right now. They've improved from uh, when we played earlier, and we know we've certainly uh, improved. Uh, uh, as well. So it should be a very intriguing and interesting game. Well, Coach, thanks for coming on board, and uh, and I wish you all the best, and uh, we'll be keeping our eye out and as you continue to make this run to state. Take care. My pleasure. Thank you so much. All right. God bless you. Take care. Okay, everybody, and that was Coach Collins, and uh, I'm just very, very honored that he came on the show. He's a very busy man for good reasons, and uh and I appreciate him too uh, expressing to us um, his his thoughts about Miss Glenda Preshack and and uh, I don't know if people around New Orleans area in the modern game like the t- year twenty twenty one really understood what it took in the nineteen eighties to get soccer where where it is now you know that we're talking about you know standing room only crowds and 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 uh, media interest in the game. Uh, that wasn't there in the 80s, you know, uh, whatsoever. Uh, it was hard to find competent coaching. It was hard to get players to play well. Um, I came on board in 1986, and it, it was very, very primitive, and it would not have even existed without Miss um, Preshack and and uh, and Al, really, uh, her husband. And uh, I guess time moves on, and it's time for the uh, third generation of, of leaders to, to take to take the uh, the ball and run with it, but um, uh, it'd be kind of hard to say that you will accomplish more than she and he did uh, in their tenure in the New Orleans soccer area. Hello, everybody. We get I've got a treat here, Mr. Charlie O'Malley, who was with Miss Glenda at the very beginning. Uh, is with us now for a few minutes. Welcome, Mr. O'Malley. Thank you, sir. All right. Uh, uh, a lot of people I'm finding out don't know what happened in the 70s and how instrumental 
y'all were for bringing soccer to uh, the New Orleans area. Um, uh, how did y'all pull it off with Miss Glenda? Well, it wasn't easy. There were no soccer fields at all. Lafreniere had Shell Road through it. The only thing that was to our advantage was Glenda and Al belonged to the Airline Park Club, which had the swimming pool. And we worked out of there. We had our meetings there. Everything was around that area. So right outside of there, we uh, put our own fields up. And one of the guys I worked with at Shell in Norco was an engineer. And I drew up a set of plans for some portable soccer goals. And he kindly enough had some of the pipe fitters put it together. And, and that was our that, what we used for years. Uh, we uh, It's not like it is today. You come to the game, the fields are all marked. We had to do everything before each game. There was nothing. Nobody did anything for us. We had to do it all. And I'm talking coaches. So it was a little bit of a struggle, but the payout, as you can see, was very great because Lafreniere Saka became a powerhouse. Most definitely. And uh, I don't think a lot of the people who are reaping the benefits from that understand the amount of grit and work and determination that you, Miss Glenda, and really Mr. Al and a lot of y'all uh, put forth to, uh, to get this thing going in Metairie and really get it going in the state of Louisiana. Um, were you some of your fondest memories of Miss Glenda in the past? Well, one of the big things was Miss Glenda took no no talk back. I mean, she was tough, and you had to be because so many of these parents wanted it their way, and it can't be. It's it's got to be a certain way to get things done properly. And Glenda took the the, the Glenda and Al both took the lead, and got people like myself and Bob Beck, and and later on my friend John Hummel, and we uh, we just organized things and kept and backed her up, and and there were many more names uh, that I can't even remember, but everybody jumped in because they saw that Glenda wasn't fooling around. She was serious about getting this soccer thing done, and by golly, she did it. And what gets me is that she did it until her last days, and uh, uh, it's amazing how, um, like I saw her a few weeks back, uh, uh, at a Jesuit junior high game and she's at every LSA meeting. And, uh, I think people are going to see that there's a big, big, big hole in the meeting without her there, because whenever we had to turn for common sense as to how to get things done, our heads would turn her way, you know, uh, to yeah. ask her opinion, you know? Yes, it was. It, it, it was very fruitful and guys like myself and many of the coaches through her suggestion, Went and got like class D and E, I forget what they were, coaching uh, certificates. And not only that, but I became a, a referee. I loved the referee, mostly because I was a runner and I could keep up with those young folks. <laughs> <laughs> and, but, but, but that's when she, you know, a lot of us became referees, and Glenda actually was a referee at one point. And she would do a lot of that. Then she became. It became so popular and so many referees that she was the the head referee in charge. And uh, 
you can see where it got us. It went a long way. Well, I'm going to tell you as a beneficiary of all that work y'all did that uh, uh, we're we're greatly in debt to y'all. Um, I've been coaching since '86, but y'all laid the groundwork for ten years before that, and um, and we're forever in y'all debt for what y'all did. And and now thousands upon thousands of kids are enjoying the game right now uh, that weren't able to enjoy it when I was a teenager in high school. So I appreciate it and appreciate your time today. Oh, Coach, you're more than welcome. Thank you, and thank Glenda. Amen. All right, God bless you and your family. Okay, and that was Mr. Charlie uh, uh, O'Malley, and uh, what a blessing it was for us to be able to talk to him. And now, real quick, we're going to talk to Mr. David DeHoog, who is working with Miss Glenda up until the last minute um, in, in, the, in what we call the modern era. Okay, with us right now is Dave DeHoog. And uh, Dave, um, I welcome you to the show. And, and you have many, many memories of Miss Glenda as well, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, I sure do. Um, and thanks for, for having me talk about Miss Glenda. Uh, Alan, I appreciate you reaching out to the soccer community and letting them know about uh, you know who Miss Glenda was and what she did for soccer all these years that uh, she's been uh, involved with uh, soccer in uh, Kenner Metairie, New Orleans area. So, yeah, it's a great loss to our community uh, to have Miss Glenda pass. So, anyway. Well, well, what's amazing, though, is that, uh, you know, she could have long retired, uh, especially after her son finished playing. And uh, but she kept staying with it and not just staying with it, but an important part of Louisiana Fire and the merger you had and and really keeping things going and keeping Louisiana Fire on the top top of their game. Uh um, what are you, some of your favorite memories of her? Oh, uh, well, you know, uh, I, I worked, uh, you know, do all the tournaments for the, for the, for the club too. And, uh, you know, just have Miss Glenda out there on all those weekends, uh, with the tournaments. She just loved to go sit there and work at the tournament tent. Uh, she was always watching the, the games, uh, either from the tournament tent or, you know, since her grandson and, uh, was playing and she, she would like to go watch her grandchildren. She would eventually go out to a couple of the uh, fields and, and watch their games. And she just, you know, loved being out there and, and, and loved, uh, loved being, being around kids playing soccer. Um, you know, she, she, uh, pretty much has been involved with soccer as I guess everybody knows, or, you know, for 40 something years, uh, which is just an incredible, uh, time span to, to still be that involved with, with an organization. I mean, she pretty much has been the secretary of, uh, Lafayette soccer club. Uh, well, first Willowdale and then Lafayette and then with the merger, the, the Louisiana fire. Um, so she's been there all through all of them. So not many people can say that they've been there through all the name changes since the beginning. So. Yeah. Not only that, but just laying the groundwork and then making sure that as people we're reaping the benefits of all of her work that it wasn't just going to go to waste and, uh, and go a different direction. She was really, as far as I was concerned, really focused on the kids and their needs as opposed to, uh, you know, the selfish needs that are, are always around, you know, people trying to take advantage of, of this, of the work that she did. And, uh, um, I never really saw her really take a, a red scent uh, of it, like uh, profit wise. And she really did it out of the goodness of her heart where a lot of other people really 
came and went like the wind, you know, but she was the steady Yeti uh, of, of our area. Yeah, she, like I said, had been involved there a long time. I mean, her, you know, Miss Glenda and her husband, Al, you know, they, they, they were there for a very long time in the beginning. And, you know, uh, as most referees know, too, that Miss Glenda was a very active member of the referee community. And um, she's probably trained countless numbers of referees out there that are hopefully still out there refereeing. I, I know she uh, got me uh, my qualification when I, when I, you know, took the referee course and along with my son when he was like 13 years old and he's 25 now and still refereeing and it's all thanks to Miss Glenda. So, um, besides the referee community, you know, she, uh, was just involved in all sorts of, uh, things and did a lot of the, she hardly ever missed any of the AGMs, uh, that Louisiana soccer association had. And I know she was really involved with them, not so much in the later years, but I mean, she was always going to all the uh, meetings that LSA had and was involved quite a bit with shaping a lot of the policies uh, in soccer in Louisiana. I tell you what, she cast a big shadow in that room, <laughs> you know, because yeah. a lot of the people who were on the board, you know, would, would uh, owe, owe, owe a lot of their uh, uh, efforts to her. <laughs> Uh, anyway, uh, closing comments about Miss Glenda. What, what is it about her that uh, that you'll never forget? Any any funny stories? Uh, she liked bananas. <laughs> <laughs> so no, no uh, I, I I say that and just because you know uh, whenever you know we we uh, she used to love getting the referee snacks uh, for the tournaments and she would always make sure that they you know had bananas so that they had plenty of potassium and if there were any bananas left over she she sure would she would sure scoop them up at the end of the tournament so i just always thought that was <laughs> funny that she'd love to have the leftover one or two bananas and you know when you get them at first and they've been out in the heat all the oh. tournament you know they're they I mean they weren't uh some of them weren't too bad but they <laughs> she, she liked those bananas <laughs> so i guess that's the funniest thing i can remember about her and then um i guess one other story was just uh you know we went up to one of the uh, uh usys soccer conventions i think we were in um in baltimore and then you know, she was just out there and she wanted to ride the, some it was a trolley they had like a trolley service or something and all of a sudden we were looking for miss glenda and one day there she was you know just going by on the trolley and we were looking all over for her but she was having fun riding that trolley so oh. those are my two funny memories that i have miss glenda so well, I thank you uh, for your time. And uh, I tell you what, you're going to have a heck of a time trying to get somebody to fill her shoes on that board. And uh, uh, and uh, I, I appreciate uh, her being remembered here on the show. And and I think it's our, our duty now to make sure that she's never forgotten. Yep. I, I um, We are going to miss her. And, you know, uh, we haven't had a need of a secretary on our board for a long, long time. And <laughs> 40 years. <laughs> yeah. So we will need, a, need one now. And, um, you know, um, I'm glad to have known Miss Glenda. Um, and, uh, you know, it's just you just can't replace somebody like that after all those years, you know. So I, mean, I know somebody will step up, but you got some big shoes to fill. So. Amen. And we still get to benefit from all of her work. Well, uh, um, Dave, thanks for coming on our show and uh, continue your great work that you're doing over there in Louisiana Fire. 
and Alan, thank you so much for having this program on and and uh, connecting the soccer community. Um, we really appreciate everything you do with New Orleans Monday Night Football, and uh, thank you for doing that. God bless you. Take care. You, you too, Alan. All right. Bye-bye. All right, and that was Dave DeHoog, and uh, uh, a really, really, really nice person. And uh, he's been on our show a few times. And uh, and anyway, uh, uh, that's our tribute to Miss Glenda. And and uh, for those of you who don't understand why, uh, uh, I guess I'd have to go sit down with you and give you a time capsule of how bad things were um, at the beginning. And, uh, and everybody who complains now about how things are, they definitely don't know what they were like, okay, how it's all started. Well, anyway, we're going to take a break, and then we're going to go over the boys' brackets with you on Monday Night Football, your voice for youth soccer. All right, everybody, welcome back. And now let's turn our attention to the boys, okay? Uh, in Division One. of course, you just heard Coach Hubie talking about uh, their tremendous result against a really good Sanamont team. And Sanamont uh, uh, might have lost 4 nothing, so it doesn't sound like it, uh, you know, it might have been as as uh, good of a showing, but that was a great showing. Yo, playing at John Ryan Stadium is very, very difficult, okay? Uh, very difficult. Um, there's lines everywhere. Anybody who watched the um, uh, Girl Stars broadcast, you could see that there's just, you know, baseball markings everywhere, football markings everywhere, soccer markings everywhere, fences in places that are just not parallel to the soccer field. It's very disorienting. And, uh, of course, when you practice on that field every day and you play on that field, you get oriented to it. So uh, every time I've had to bring a team to go play over there, I've had to really get there early and just try to let them know that, okay, this this is where the boundaries really are, whereas – uh, you know, they're going to have this tendency to want to follow the fence, the fencing as to where, wherever the, uh, the goals are. And it's, you know, it's just confusing. It's a marvelous complex. I'm not, I'd, I'd take it any day. Okay. So I'm not like dissing it in that regard. And, uh, um, uh, but, uh, for Santa might have to go play there. It was as hard as brother Martin having to go play in the pit. Uh, and that was a tremendous game too, where Santa Mott was on top three to two. So um, now we have Jesuit beating St. Lamont and beating a really good West Jefferson team uh, now has to go to Hunter Stadium. I told you all this at the very, very beginning. Anybody who counted St. Paul's out, I don't know what they were counting. Okay, they're right in the thick of it. And now, thanks to the last traveled rule, they get to, uh, get to host the game because they went to Captain Shreve amidst all this noise that nobody could see the uh, Captain Shreve team or whatever. St. Paul's did fine. They beat them two to nothing um, at their own place. And that's a low score for St. Paul's. And and uh, St. Paul's might not be the juggernaut that they've been in in, in the years past, but, yo, that's a tougher route they had to. They had to beat Southside. Um, but Southside had to go to Hunter. Uh, but then uh, going to Captain Shreve and beating a good Captain Shreve team two nothing, um, Sets them up for the momentum. And I'm telling you, I was over there at the beginning of, the, of, of January for a junior high tournament. Um, I mentioned that in the last segment. And all the St. Paul's varsity players were working the tournament, and I could see their eyes. And, of course, I covered the Jesuit game uh, with, with Lusher, and I think these, these are really two teams that if we don't, if we don't watch this game, 
we can't. I mean, if you're not going to watch this game and and uh, and pay attention to this game, I, I really think that uh, you don't love the game. Okay, this is going to be another a rematch from heaven, and it's going to take a lot of the attention away from the other side. Okay, the other side of the bracket has the number one seed. Catholic Baton Rouge, okay, which is yet to play Dutchtown, um, and uh, uh, Dutchtown's a dangerous team, and Catholic's got to go to Dutchtown, um, and they wait. Bird, who beat Denham Springs three to two, at Bird, and so uh, look, if uh, Catholic does win, Catholic gets to host, and Bird's going to have to travel to Baton Rouge, uh, and um, if Dutchtown wins, Dutchtown's going to have to go uh, over there to Bird, so. A lot of stuff still uh, still out there. Um, uh, Alexandria, by the way, did a really good uh, job playing Catholic Baton Rouge, only losing two to one. So Catholic uh, is in kind of new territory. Uh, a lot of the legacy of the '80s this gone, okay. But when I first started coaching in '86, Catholic was a major player, okay, um, year in and year out. And uh, whenever I play Catholic High, I, I I had to uh, tighten my belt, you know. Uh, they're back to their, they're back there again, and it's been a long time since we said Catholic had won a state championship. Of course, you know they had a shot last year, and uh, if you want to say that was a shot, but uh, this year as a one seed, they they got it, they got a shot. Um, so we'll see how it goes. But uh, um, Division One is purely exciting. It's not like it's just a rubber stamp. St. Paul's is going to get the title. Y'all, that Jesuit team very is a very strong team. So I'm just saying. Now, when it comes to Division Two, uh, Holy Cross had no trouble with Washita Parish in the regional round, and now they have to play South Terrebonne. Um, and they're probably going to look at a rematch um, with Ben Franklin, but Ben Franklin's got to play Neville, and uh, they're going to be playing uh, Neville in a very unfamiliar place. They're going to be playing at Joe Yenny Stadium. And I don't know what was the uh, rationale there. I think the main rationale there is the social distancing. But that's not too much of an advantage for Ben Franklin. Ben Franklin had Ben Franklin as an advantage, okay? Um, the uh, the soccer goal is right next to the tennis courts. is really hard to, to, to shoot on because there's so many fence posts behind it. And they weren't not going to have that advantage this year uh, going to play at a – at Joe Yenny is just a pretty much a vanilla stadium uh, with no advantages. The wind kind of tunnels through it. And so Neville still got to travel all the way down to Metairie to play. Uh, but, but it's, it's not like a traditional home game for Ben Franklin. So, so I kind of feel for them. Uh, I think chances are, we're going to be seeing a Holy Cross Ben Franklin matchup. And, um, we'll, and that's going to be, have to be at Holy Cross because uh they're both hosting this this uh, semi this quarterfinal game. Now on the flip side, Benton's already punched their ticket. Uh, they beat Cato Magnet two to nothing. Uh, really, Benton beat Shaw three to one. Uh, Shaw put up a good effort, and then uh, of course Cato um, is familiar to them. And now they're awaiting the East Jeff St. Thomas More result, and that game is going to be uh, on the sixteenth with East Jefferson hosting at. Yenny Stadium. So interesting. Now, St. Thomas More only beat Terrebonne five nothing, but I can tell you after playing Terrebonne last year, that Terrebonne was a, is a, is a strong team. It wasn't like they were going to just roll over them and eight nothing them. But St. Thomas More 
having to go to to Mallory and East Jefferson's very familiar, of course, with uh, Yenny. Uh, it's going to be interesting. East Jefferson might have a shot to get to the semifinals, but uh, see Thomas Moore is not a two seed for nothing. So we'll have to watch that play out, and and that's going to be a lot of fun to to, to pay attention to. You know, now in Division Three, my division, um, uh, University Lab uh, had everything it could handle with the eight seed Bozier. Bozier beat David Thibodeau two to nothing. Uh, in the regional round to to get the honor to have to drive all the way to uh, play university at Parkview Baptist. Talking about sportsmanship, it's really nice to see how um, everybody gets along in Baton Rouge. They can use each other's stadiums. That, that was really, really nice. Uh, give the university crowd a, uh, a chance to play on turf and not on the grass. And uh, very, very good sportsmanship. Now, University Lab is awaiting the winner of the Edie White North Vermilion 5-4 game. Edie White's going to have to go to North Vermilion, and uh, which is definitely not familiar territory for them. But uh, uh, I don't know if it's going to be that much of a challenge. They beat Hannon four to nothing. North Vermilion beat Leesville four to nothing. So uh, uh, we'll see how it goes. Uh, Hannon was a strong team. We lost to them two to nothing. My my boys at Dulles and uh, Edie White uh, is just relentless, though, with the with the restarts. And I think Division Three is going to be decided by restarts. It really looks that way, okay? Because on the other side of the bracket, you have the uh, the restart generals in Lusher. And boy, what a game! Lusher pulled out really in the very end of of sudden death overtime uh, to beat Vanderbilt two to one. And a very cold night uh, on uh, on Saturday, and it was from a long throw. Okay, long throws, long throws, long throws. And uh, uh, again, I'm not going to cut that down. I, I got a couple of state championships using long throws, and and so uh, I, I'm not against using them. Um, um, I'm just leaving it at that. So now Loyola Prep beat a very strong Parkview Baptist. Uh, and so now Loyola is going to have to go play at Lusher, and that's going to be a Pan American Stadium. I think uh, we, we don't know the exact exact time, and and uh, um, it's going to be in the second day. It's probably going to be Friday or Saturday. And uh, Loyola Prep had to travel last year to Vanderbilt, and uh, and Vanderbilt wound up uh, winning that one. Uh, let's see what happens here. Lusher is going to be the favorite team. And Loyola's going to have to do something about their restarts. If they'd have nothing to say, to, if they have no answer for Lusher's restarts, uh, then it's going to be a long night for them. Okay. Uh, really, Vanderbilt did a good job trying to keep them out of the net. But, uh, you know, in overtime, you're in the 120th minute. And, it, you know, uh, it just, it's hard to keep that focus and that attention. And uh, Lusher was able to take advantage of it. Now in Division Four, the team to be right now obviously is Pope John Paul. Uh, they're going to be playing on the 16th tomorrow against Newman, but Newman's going to have to go to their place. And Newman's a, a turf team. They beat Calvary Baptist five to nothing. And uh, Pope John Paul doesn't play on turf. They play in a very very um, good field, but it's a field that uh, it's going to be a little wet from all this weather we're having, and so uh, it's going to be a different. Surface. I really think that uh, as a soccer coach, I encourage my kids to have screw-ins, and I think screw-ins are going to be necessary to play at Pope John Paul tomorrow night. It's actually going to be at 3 p.m. 
uh, I'd really like to go see that game. Uh, my nephew plays for Pope John Paul II. Now, uh, the winner of that game is going to play the winner of the 5-4 matchup because North Lake Christian, as a four seed, took care of Country Day. I- I'm impressed, actually. I watched Country Day play Newman. And uh, for them to give North Lake a 2-1 to one game, Country Day had some strength there, and that was a really good run for them. But uh, uh, North Lake is going to be playing Holy Savior Menard, who had to play a very physical Covenant Christian team out of Raceland. And uh, they were, that was played at Menard. And probably the home field had something to do with it. Covenant Christian is uh, a very, very strong team. They upset Glenmore in the first round. And they, so they finished off their season very, very nicely. Now, on the bottom of the bracket, okay, you have a, you have a, the 3-6, uh, which that's how it was supposed to play out. You know, Episcopal of Acadiana beat St. Thomas Aquinas. Uh, a very good team, 7 uh, nothing. And now they get this going to be the Battle of the Episcopalians, man. Episcopal Baton Rouge beat Vermilion Catholic one nothing, and so Episcopal Baton Rouge is going to have to go to their arcade and uh, play ESA uh, in very unfamiliar uh, circumstances tomorrow at three. And then I have some very sad news to uh, report, especially to everybody in my hometown. Uh, Catholic High New Iberia has been sent into quarantine. And now they can't play their game against Ascension Episcopal on the 16th. So now Ascension Episcopal, who lost to Catholic New Iberia 2-1 at the end of the season, has moved on to the semifinals to await the winner of ESA and EBR. So, boy, what a sad, sad story. Not, I mean, Ascension Episcopal is, is, is a definitely a, a team that proved that they can go toe-to-toe with Catholic New Iberia. But Catholic New Iberia was a two-seed. And uh, although they had to go play at Ascension Episcopal, um, it's still, you don't want a season to end like that. That is so, so sad. Anyway, um, I cannot imagine the pain that that team is going through right now. It's one thing to lose. It's another thing to not even get a chance. Uh, we, we've remarkably uh, haven't had too much to deal with uh, during the playoffs with COVID, but uh, during the season, all of us know that we were in and out of quarantines. And and so anyway, your your heart has to go out for for the Panthers over there in Catholic God, New Iberia. Well, that's it. Uh, we are going to look and pay attention this week to all the exciting soccer that we have coming up. And hopefully we'll be back with y'all next Monday on another edition of Monday Night Football, your voice for youth soccer. And please remember, keep sportsmanship at, at the highest that you can uh, do not make comments at the referee um, cheer for your team, not against the other team. And, uh, and just know that without that other team, there would be no thrill of victory. Okay. Like Ascension Episcopal. Yeah. They get the thrill of moving on, but they don't get the thrill of having won the game to do it, you know? So uh, that opponent that you're playing uh, is very important to you. And without them, you wouldn't have the thrill of victory or the agony of defeat either. It'd just be stagnant. So keep that in mind. Your enemy is not the other team. Your enemy is everybody trying to get soccer to stop, including COVID. <laughs> oh, well, this is Coach Allen DeRitter, and I wish you and your family the best. Please stay safe. And and remember, take Lent seriously. we got Ash Wednesday this week, and uh, um, I hope your Lent is very, very fruitful. God bless you. Bye-bye.